Somebody wants me to record this, so I'm recording it. Um, okay, here's what I think we're doing. So I, I took a class this past week. I audited a class um, this past week from a guy named Tremper Longman, who's an Old Testament scholar. Um, I've read a few of his books before, and so I heard about him coming to this this, this school in Pennsylvania, in Pittsburgh, where Jim and Ryan were already going to spend a week at. And so I thought, hey, I'm going to tag along and take just take this guy's class because. He's pretty intelligent, and um, and wisdom has been something that's this past fall, especially just my time of study, has been something that keeps coming up in my life, especially um, what does it mean to fear God? Because that's that's a phrase that jumped out at me sometime back in September. Fear God. Um, if you're in in our Roman study, you know that um, in, in Romans eight it says, you know. You know, the spirit you received was was not so that you would um, fear God. So you're not so that you wouldn't have fear and fall back into slavery. So fear is talked about in the Bible as a bad thing sometimes, and then it's talked about in the Bible as a good thing. And in in in, in these wisdom literature, fear is a good thing. And so that that was something I've been wrestling with. And so I heard of this class, and I thought I'm gonna take it. So I did. It was great. You're gonna hear. You're gonna hear scratching the surface of things I got to hear all week, um, which is also scratching the surface of what this guy knows, right? So he taught, he's written, you can look him up, he's written extensively about these books. He was the, I I think I said it in there, the senior editor, senior translator for all the wisdom literature for the New Living Translation, which that project took approximately 10 years to do. So you think about somebody who spent 10 years trying to translate the wisdom literature books just for the NLT, just the NLT, um, and we, you know, we're now using the CSB, and you have ESV, and you have the NIV. All of those translations require teams and teams of scholars to do what to 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 translate to get this thing so we can read it. So, anyways, um, there there's a lot that I learned just on on Bible translation that I won't have time to get into today unless we get to the end, but. I thought, I thought, you know, I was explaining some of the things I learned to my family last night, and I, and I thought the way I want to approach this is, is if you were going to read Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, or Job, how would you go about doing it? And I think what, what I want to offer is a perspective on these wisdom books in the Old Testament in order to understand how each book, this is, this is a big takeaway for me, is what I want you to take away. Each book has to be understood by hold, while holding the other two in tension. Because each book taken by itself... Hey, Ben, welcome back. <laughs> Hugs later, I promise. And Juliet, welcome back. Hugs later. Yeah, okay. It's just now, it's just now coming to me that I'm just seeing you for the first time since Spain. So anyway... Um, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah. So you have to, so like this, the, the, the big takeaway is Proverbs read by itself c- could get you into trouble if you kind of assume, oh, yeah, this is the way life works. Same with Ecclesiastes, same with Job. And, and, and so all three of them now, I, I, it helped me see that they really need to be held, held in tension. Um, the hermeneutical foundation thing there, hermeneutics is, is, is the process in which we go through to study the Bible, to interpret the Bible, to understand the Bible. So that's just a fancy way of saying 
you know, if you've been to the table, you know that little card, that orange-looking card that we give out that kind of explains, explains our process of, of how we, we have to understand the Bible in its own context, and then we can look at kind of the, the bigger principles, and then we can apply it to our life kind of a deal? That's, a, that's hermeneutics on a, on a postcard kind of a deal. The, the things that I wrote there are things that he said that I thought were really helpful. It was really helpful. He spent a whole morning just, as, just establishing his hermeneutical foundation, how he understands the Bible and how he's going to teach the Bible. And that was really helpful for me to hear because Drew and I, at the beginning of each semester, we, we try to do that. We try to explain, here's what we believe the Bible is. Here's how we understand it. Here's how we're going to interpret it and teach it to you. So you can read all those things later. Um, I, I just thought they were helpful phrases, helpful, helpful ways to put, to put it. Now, Proverbs. So um, the, the, form, the formula that I have down is, you know, I wanted to kind of give an outline of, of the book so that when you sit down to read Proverbs, you, um, you don't do it like I've most of my life done it, which is just start in verse 1 and just start reading. And then... Halfway through, go, what is happening here? I don't know. I'll just keep reading. That's kind of how I've read Scripture, especially if I've ever done like a reading plan, you know, and I'm, I've got, what's today? Oh, my gosh, I'm two days behind. I've got nine chapters to get through or something like that. I just start reading, and I don't think about what I'm reading. I don't, I don't keep things in perspective and things like that. So reading Proverbs is helpful to understand. There's like an introduction or preamble the first seven verses of the book. And then it goes into this discourse, which I never really noticed until this past week. Like I never, I, I knew that there was long sections in Proverbs that kind of fit together, like that were a continuous thought. And then I also knew that there was these just statements that were made that were most oftentimes unrelated to the ones before it or the ones after it, you know? I, I never, I never knew that there was like I never really studied proverbs. I didn't think it was something you study. I just thought it was something you read and think about and apply to your, you know. So in in kind of looking at the whole picture, and maybe maybe some of you have already figured this out, which is kudos to you. But there's there's this discourse from one eight through nine eighteen, and then we're going to read it here in a second. And then, and then from chapter 10 all the way through the end of the book is, is just Proverbs. And like I said, they're, they're like one sentence, two sentence things. And a lot of times they're not related to the ones before it. And the best way that he, he described, the best way to study those chapters is to kind of study it topically. Is to kind of say, um, and, and we had a chance to do this, and I'll, maybe I'll get a chance to share what I the one I chose. I chose the topic reading people, reading people. And there was like six or seven verses that I, that were, that I kind of looked up and had to summarize what does Proverbs say about reading people. And specifically what I learned was it gives a really good definition for what is discernment. How do you discern something in the moment with other people relationally? And so maybe I'll get a chance to read that. But anyway, so that, that was a good Reminder to me that, yeah, when you're reading through those chapters, don't try to go, okay, how does that one relate to that one? Is this connected to the the chapters? Headings are just there to break it up. They weren't meant to be read like chapters. They're meant to be read as these short statements. 
So, the preamble. So, turn to, to Proverbs 1, and we'll read this. Um, yeah, we'll probably spend the most time on Proverbs just because it's, and then we'll hopefully get through the end. Proverbs is, so if you look at your Bible, you have Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and I didn't hear him say this, but as I've been thinking about it since I get, since Friday, um, so not very long, is I wonder if when they were putting these books together, why, you know, they're not in, in necessarily chronological order from when they were written or even when they came out or any of that stuff, but I, I think that Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, all of those, all four of those books reference this phrase or use this phrase, fear God or the fear of the Lord is wisdom in some way, shape or form. And so I think that's why they're all they're lumped together in, in that little cluster. So so Proverbs. And the only reason I'm starting with Proverbs and not Job is because he did. So you can blame him. Although well, it doesn't matter. Take it's yeah. I'm trying to figure out what thoughts that are racing through my head should I share or not share for time. So let me just get through. Let's read. Actually, somebody read 1, uh, one through 7. Anybody? The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain to wise counsels, to understand the proverb and the interpretation thereof, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Okay. So you have this introduction to the point of Proverbs, and he says it right there. The purpose of Proverbs is to make the reader wise. So there is, a, there is an intentional aspect to this book. It's to make you wise. So that begs the question, what is wisdom? Which you'll hear more about as we kind of look at each of these books. But another f- helpful phrase as you're reading through it is, um, uh, what translation are you reading? Uh, I was in the King James. What do we use here? Um, lots of things. Uh, CSB, ESV. So some of yours say, in CSB, it says inexperienced. Um, I think the King, King James might say simple. What does it say for in verse um, 4? Yeah, simple. Simple. Simple, inexperienced is used. Um, it, it means immature. You know, we use that sometimes as an insult. That's not necessarily an insult, you know. If, a, if, a, if a, a child a child is immature in that they, they have maturing to do, right? So, but it is, it is a little bit of a, an honest reflection, an honest admission about my, like, where I'm at in life. Am I immature? Am I, do I tend to make unwise decisions? Am I inexperienced in this? So 
Simple, I don't think, captures um, what this word is describing. Because simple could mean like, I'm just a simple man. Uh, you know, I just need steak and potatoes. That's all I need. You know, so we can kind of associate it with these things that I don't think are necessarily meant to be translated here. So whenever you see that, that word, whatever, whatever version you have, if it's inexperienced or simple, it means immature. It means someone who's, who lacks wisdom. It means someone who makes unwise decisions and needs to grow up. And so there's, there's a little bit of a self-reflection that's needed. Um, this, is a, this is a good, um, this is a really big takeaway for me, is that wisdom is a never-ending process. Wisdom, being wise, is different than having a Ph.D., so if someone, you guys are in college, you're, you're getting a bachelor, some of you are working towards a master's, some of you might even end up getting a doctorate. There's, we've had a few students in our ministry that have stuck around and got, got their doctorate. Once you have that doctorate, you always have that doctorate. Once you have that degree, you always have that degree. You could go on to be an idiot in your life and make really dumb decisions that, is, that hurt you and hurt everyone around you, but you will always have that degree it doesn't take none of that takes the degree away from you so it's different than knowledge in that sense um, wisdom is something that that you can grow in and that you can lose and that was something that was kind of like an interesting idea because I think I thought in my head without really expressing it maybe that wisdom is something I'm just going to gain as I get older I don't really have to try Proverbs, is, Proverbs kicked that out of me, and I'll explain what I mean by that here in a second. But, but wisdom is something that you, you have to um, accept wise advice and act in it in order to walk in the way of wisdom. So it's something you lose. Best test case for this, who's the wisest person in the Bible besides Jesus? Solomon, right? So he said, okay, do you know what happens to Solomon at the end of his life? Jerk. Yeah. Well, better yet, using, using Solomon's words, he's a fool. That's, that's, like it, that's the best description of the way Solomon ended his life as a fool. So, so that's a powerful reminder that wisdom is not something that just happens to you when you get older, that you can lose it and you can become a fool. So... That's the preamble uh, discourse. Like I said, it's wisdom from a father to a son. Um, oh, this, this was just a, a helpful insight. It's wisdom from a father to a son, but it does not mean that it doesn't apply to mothers and daughters. Now, I won't get, get into that. Um, here's the point, and this was a huge takeaway for me. We must seek the author's intended meaning. So we talk about that on, at the table. The AIM, A-I-M, author's intended meaning. It's something that, that's how we try to understand the original context in order to eventually see the universal principle and then eventually apply it to our life. Well, the author's intended meaning, this was written to, for a, from a father to a son. Four fathers to their sons. So the begs question, does this mean the Proverbs is not to be read by women or interpreted by women or whatever? No, it's not what that means. It's, it's on, so what he, what he was reminding us of was honoring the context in which it was written, saying, yeah, being honest and saying, yeah, this was in a very patriarchal context. 
But then this phrase that was a really helpful phrase, we need to honor the redemptive ethical trajectory. Now that may sound like fancy terms. Think about it. That ultimately Jesus is redeeming and restoring the world back to, to God. That there is this process happening in the life of, of, of Israel and eventually to the Messiah, to Jesus coming and the church and all that. So there's this trajectory. And if you think about in the New Testament, Jesus' interaction and his and the way he treated women, Paul's description of women, even we don't we don't get all this in the New Testament, but the New Testament, the, the New Testament letters were controversial, controversially um, pro-women compared to their first century context. So when it says, husbands, love your wives, says Christ, love the church, it's like, wait, wait, wait. Yes, women should submit to men, to their husbands. Women, wives should submit to their husbands. That we totally get, first century. You're telling me, as a husband, I need to unconditionally love my wife? That's crazy. That's the, that's the way it would have been understood then. And we've flipped it now. If we get the total unconditional love thing, the submission thing is a little harder for our, for our context. And so the, the, the ethical, the redemptive ethical trajectory is, it was an important key idea for me. And he says you've got to hold both in tension. You've got you to honor both. Woman wisdom, you'll hear that phrase mentioned over and over in this discourse. plays a significant role. And then the words, the, the way. Anytime you see the words, the way, it's describing God's way. It's describing um, the straight path that leads to the good life. The good life here. And then Proverbs is chapters 10 through 31. Like I said, they're short, brief of observations, admonitions, and prohibitions. So both, these are things you should do. These are things you should not do. Based on observations about life and oh, something I didn't put in any, any of these. Um, all three books have a lot of references towards creation. And that was, um, I knew that about Job. I didn't realize that about Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Like there's these observations about creation that happen all the time. And you could just, if you just, you won't, you won't do this because not many of you do unless you like really fall in love with these books, but if you just had one reading where all you did was pay attention to the creation language, you would be amazed at how much is there. It's, it's, it's pretty impressive. Um, and then we need to understand wisdom as practical, ethical, and theological. And then I gave some, some descriptions of what that is. Um, practical wisdom, emotional intelligence is kind of the idea, or social skills. That, that Proverbs does give like some practical wisdom on how to live your life. Th- things that if you do that will go well for you. Things that will, will benefit your life and benefit those around you. And that is... That is Wisdom is included in that. that. Wisdom is that. That is a part of wisdom. Um, Proverbs are truths that, and this is key, when applied in the right circumstances, in the right way, will benefit your life. Okay? A great example of this, turn to Proverbs 26. This is my favorite example of... 
applying the right uh, the right truths in the right circumstances in the right way. Okay. Ch- uh, chapter 26, somebody read verse 4. This is a warning. This is a prohibition. Okay, so somebody read 4. Okay, so what's that saying? Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be just like him. If somebody asks a stupid question, don't give him the stupid answer that goes with it. Okay, that's one. Yeah, that could be, yeah, yeah. That's a kind of a new way of thinking, saying it, yeah. So, like, go ahead. Don't get sucked into arguing with people who argue for fun. Yes. They'll enjoy it. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Somebody else read verse 5. Answer a fool according to his foolishness, or he'll become wise in his own eyes. Okay. Now this one's saying, answer a fool according to his foolishness, or he will become wise in his own eyes. What does that mean? If you don't argue with them? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. 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 So you you know, like, you can picture, I think, probably, circumstances where you apply verse 4, and then circumstances where you need to apply verse 5, right? Like, let's say if, if it's somebody you care about, and they're going on and on about something they're, there's, they're just showing off how, how much of a fool they are and whatever they believe. And if you don't say something to them, it's like you're doing, yeah, I'm just going to let them believe they're right when they're wrong. It's like, no, if you love them, you'll speak truth to them. If you love them, you'll say, you know what, I don't think you're right. Um, but you also know verse 4, which is, uh, yeah, some people just want to argue, and no matter what I say, it's not going to matter. So, like, you, you instinctively know that... There's a time where you apply verse 4, and there's a time where you apply verse 5. That's a, it's a really good example of these Proverbs. And, and so when they, when they say things like, well, whatever, when they say these truths that it's like, okay, am I supposed to apply that all the time, 100% of the time, in, in, you know, in this way? It's like, no. Okay, then how do I do it? Well, discernment. <laughs> it's like, oh, wisdom. Well, how do I get wisdom? If I'm supposed to do this how, to get wisdom, how do I, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, what, it's the way this works. You know, it's, it's you growing in wisdom, learning how to discern the appropriate time and the way in which to apply it. So that's really helpful to me. Um, ethical wisdom. So a wise person is a righteous person and, good, and a good person. The Proverbs will teach that. The Proverbs, if you, if you look at the law, I think I have wisdom as the cousin of the law. So because, because these proverbs, you can, in fact, I have it, a picture of, or I have it in this book, the, the where the Ten Commandments are just kind of reiterated in these in these verses. So, so there is an aspect of righteousness or 
law-abidingness to, to the Proverbs. And then there's a theological wisdom that uh, fear of God is the beginning and the heart of wisdom. So, and, and fear leads to humility. Um, so let's pause a second. Why, why fear? And what is our, why are we afraid of that word, fear? Yeah, so fear can be a good motivator. We're taught not to fear things because it can limit us or, or hinder us or paralyze us, but, but fear can be a good motivator. How many of you have woke up and realized you have an assignment, and, and then there's this adrenaline that pumps through your veins? It's like and you just got to get it done, and you, you know, or you got to study or whatever, and all of a sudden fear can be a great motivator. That's at least what I told myself when we were disciplining our kids. You will fear me, you know. Um, so, so think about, and this is, and this is what's helpful for me, you know, leading up to this class and even in this this past week, is is thinking about the good aspects of fear and, and the bad aspects of fear. And if you want to do a study uh, on just that word fear and how it comes up in the Old Testament, which we're going to kind of dive into here quite a bit. And then how it comes up in the New Testament. And when it's used as in this kind of fear, fear that draws me to God, or when it's a fear that, 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 that leads me away from God, and how to discern the different kinds of fear that may come up in your life, I think would be a really helpful thing to, to read and study. So, woman wisdom. So turn, to, turn back to Proverbs 1. Woman wisdom, like I said, mentioned quite a bit. I'm going to read. Woman wisdom calls out in the, in the street. She makes her voice heard in the public squares. She cries out above. Um, this is verse 20 and 21 and then following. She cries out above the commotion. She speaks at the entrance of the city gates. How long, inexperienced ones, will you love ignorance? How long will you mockers enjoy mocking and you fools hate knowledge? If you respond to my warning, then I will pour out my spirit on, on you and teach you my words. Since I called you, since I called out and you refused, extended my hand and no one paid attention, since you neglected all my counsel and did not accept my correction, I, in turn, will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror strikes. When terror strikes you in the storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. That's an interesting connection to Job. If you know anything about the end of Job, Job 30. Job 38. We'll get to that. Um, 
comes like a whirlwind. When trouble and stress overcome you, uh, then they will call me, but I won't answer. Then they will search for me, but I but won't find me, because they hated knowledge, didn't choose to fear the Lord, were not interested in my counsel, and rejected all my correction. They will eat the fruit of their way and be and be glutted with their own schemes, for the apostasy of the inexperienced will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live securely and will be undisturbed by the dread of danger. So this is a this is woman wisdom coming out strong. And and like I said, I think I said, maybe I said in my head, um, woman wisdom, and as we'll see here in a second, woman folly. No, I don't say it. it's it's here. Uh, I typed it. It's they're both they're both shouting at us. So a huge takeaway for me was that the voice of God's wisdom, 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 God's wisdom, and foolishness both are vying for our attention. Both are shouting, and both will both um, need a response will be needed. And you will, and I will, either reject one and accept the other, or accept one and reject the other. Like that will happen because of, of the nature of which the Proverbs is presenting wisdom and folly. So let's look at these, these two women battling it out in verse 9. So the end of the discourse. The end of this discourse in, in verses 1, in chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. You have woman wisdom speaking. Um, well, at least you you know, you have the, the 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 author describing woman wisdom, and then she's speaking in ten through twelve, and then you, and then the author describes woman folly in thirteen through four through eighteen. But let me read it. Wow, um, wisdom has built her house. She has carved out her seven pillars. She has prepared her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also set, uh, set her table. So she's preparing a meal. Okay, Meal would be an invitation to a relationship language. She has sent out her female servants, and she calls out from the highest points of the city. Whoever is inexperienced, enter here. So you, you have to hear the grace that's in this invitation, okay? Because the inexperienced um, know she's there and aren't, whatever, going to her house. They are, she's going out to find them. You have to hear God's um, grace in seeking those who are choosing not to. I think that's what's happening here. This is also like the prophets. The prophets were, we often see them as angry men, um, just yelling at people. And really, they're God's grace sent to remind his people of, their, of his covenant with them. So it's, it may be similar. I don't know. He didn't say that. I'm just saying it. It's a new thought. Uh, Whoever inexperienced enter here to the one who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat my bread, and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave inexperience behind, and you will live. Pursue the way of understanding. The one who corrects a mocker will bring, bring abuse on himself. The one who rebukes the wicked 
will get hurt. Don't rebuke a mocker, or he will hate you. Rebuke the wise, and he will love you. Instruct the wise, and he will be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and he will learn more. It's, it's a little bit of the whoever has will, has will have more, and whoever doesn't have, even what he has will be taken away. That idea that Jesus talks about is talked about in the, in the Old Testament. Jesus talks about it in relation to parables. But it's, it's like, like truth will reveal where your heart is, kind of. And then she says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be many. And for years will be added to your life. If you are, if you are wise, you are wise for your own benefit. If you mock, you, will, you alone will bear the consequences. So that's woman follies or woman wisdom's kind of final hurrah in, in this discourse. And then let's look at um, woman follies. Folly is a rowdy woman. She is gullible and knows nothing. She sits by the doorway of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, um, who go straight ahead on their paths. Whoever is inexperienced, enter here. To the one who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten secretly is tasty. But he doesn't know that the departed spirits are there. That, that her food, basically, that dead men live there. That dead people go there. That it is a pathway to death. Um, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So, so notice both of them are on the highest points in the city. Um, this, he believes, I have no reason to doubt it, um, he believes is a reference to deity. That woman wisdom, and he has lots of reason to believe this, and I don't get into it, but I think I say it there. Um, yeah, the woman wisdom is an invitation to a deeper relationship with Yahweh. That ultimately, woman wisdom is representing God's divine way, His divine, not His divine wisdom, and so because because the highest points is a is a is a worship term that he's saying both are like um, both are representing deity. One is representing God; the other representing these false gods, these things that are right calling out to us too. So again, notice both of them are aggressively going after us per se. Okay, any. Thought, question, quick questions on Proverbs, and we'll, we'll kind of fly through the others. Yeah. So sometimes it's hard for me like, to understand Proverbs, like what it's saying, like the verse 4 and 5. Mm-hmm. How good would like, the message be in reading the message? Yeah. Would that, like, I just don't know like, how off that is. Uh, so if I have time, I'll share some of the insights I learned from Bible translation. He gave us, he gave me a, an incredible view of Bible translation. Now, the message is not a translation, it's a paraphrase, and it's done purposely by one guy, which is an incredibly daunting task, but anyway. Um, so, I think it can be helpful. I think, I think if you read, my, I, I 
I will re refer to the message sometimes after I've read the ESV, the S CSB, the NIV, the NLT, maybe the NASB. I'll read some of these other translations that, that have a variety of um, language, and then I'll read the message just to see how he says it, you know. But it's, it can be helpful. It can be help all if reading all the different translations is really helpful. It's like reading all of these scholars at once, you know. You'll see when there's a word that's translated in, in the different translations differently, like inexperienced or simple or gullible, you're like, wow, that must be a rich word if, if these guys can't come to an agreement on what this word means. Um, so, anyway, so you can be helpful. Any other questions on Proverbs? Okay, Ecclesiastes. So turn to Ecclesiastes. Right next to the door to the right. The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. So notice the chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 is not from, it is, is different, is a different speaker than verse 12. Verse 12 is in first person. So in the, we'll call him the author or narrator. Um, Tremper Longman refers to him as the frame narrator, which, whatever, he kept saying frame narrator the whole time, he, and which is, I think, is true because this narrator is framing up Kohelet's message. And Kohelet is the one that they call the teacher. Um, some translations have preacher, but um, the word literally means the assembler. So they assume if he's assembling people, he must be wanting to teach them something. So that's how they get the word teacher. And then some, some use preacher, but preacher wouldn't have been an understood idea back then. So teacher is probably more likely. But Kohelet um, is, is, who, is who gives the, the bulk of the message, 12, sorry, 1, 12 through 12, 7. So most of the message is his. Um, and then at the very end, the, the, the narrator comes back in and kind of gives some final thoughts and frames up the whole message of Ecclesiastes. So keys to understanding Ecclesiastes, there are two voices, okay? That, and you've and you got to understand that because, as we'll see here in a second, Kohelet is this teacher person. Um, it's pretty dark, okay? It's, it's like his conclusion about life. Because this book is really going after what's the purpose of life? And, and can we find meaning in this life? And so that's a big question. The purpose of life is the question that people have been asking ever since people have been around. So it's a big question. Um, and, and, and so this is, okay, these are Trimper's words. This guy, he says, Kohelet's message can be summed up in this. Life sucks and then you die. That's, that's, that's his summary of this guy's message. Now, I, I have no reason to argue or disagree with anything this guy says because I've never studied any, the, the Hebrew. He knows Hebrew. He doesn't even read translations. He just reads Hebrew. It's crazy. Um, but I think, it's, I, think, I think that can be misleading 
to understand who this Kohelet person is. Kohelet, a lot of people have assumed Kohelet is Solomon, and why would they assume that? Look at verse 1 1. Who's the son of David? King of Israel would be Solomon, it would be the first son, right? So, and. Um, the, the kind of extravagance that's described in this. Like when he says, all right, I decided to seek after pleasure. And so I, what does he say? In, in chapter 2, I explored with my mind the pole of wine on my body um, and how grass, and how to grasp folly. And, and I could see that, you know, that it was good for people to do under the sun during their few days. And he says, um, I built houses and I planted vineyards and I made gardens and parks and, and I planted every kind of fruit tree and constructed reservoirs and irrigated groves of trees. And I had male and female servants and I had slaves who were born in my house and I owned livestock, large herds and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. So he's, he's describing... Like when you and I said, you know what, I'm going to seek pleasure. We, we go, I'm going to go have ice cream. We spend like $3.50 and we just drowned ourselves in ice cream. You, know, you buy a carton and you just, you're depressed and you just go after it. Um, he's describing planting every fruit tree and, and, and drinking and eating from the, from the fruit of those trees. Planting um, gardens and building houses and reservoirs. I mean, he's describing a lifetime of of extravagance. And that's, I think, one of the major points of this book is and in, in why the teacher, why the author, narrator, whoever, is wanting, is using Kohelet as a Solomon-like person because it, it, it helps us with the contrast of what he's going to discover. Because all of us all of us seek to find meaning in this life. All of us seek after things, hoping, hoping that we like will discover something that like will make us really happy, and we'll make we'll find life like purpose to life in this thing. It could be relationships, it could be jobs, it could be experiences, it could be food, it could be sex, it could be money, it could be a lot of things. He's going to talk about all those things, and and so what makes Ecclesiastes so such a loud example is that like what the author is saying is like Solomon did these things okay and you and I are nothing like Solomon and guess what he did it to the furthest extreme that any human could ever do it and guess what he found out that the life is not found or meaning is not found in those things so um, the word oh so well let me let me did I even mention this I didn't Okay, um, the word in verse 2, chapter 1, verse 2, absolutely futile in a CSB. says meaningless somewhere else. What does KJV say? Vanity. Vanity, yeah, vanity meaningless, futile, are, again, none of, the, none of the different translations, most of them translate it differently, which tells you this word is a rich word. Oftentimes, it's because the word is a... Uh, it's an image. So in this particular case, the word literally means vapor or breath. And if you have footnotes, it probably says that somewhere. Um, and so but th- that doesn't make sense. Life is breath. Like if, if I just came up to you and said, hey, Mason, 
life is breath, man, don't you get it? You know what I mean? You wouldn't be like, okay, never talking to him again. Um, because there is, there is metaphor being used here. And so what the scholars have to do is try to figure out from ancient Near Eastern literature, what, is this, what does this metaphor mean? And how many of you have a, these have become really popular in the last five years or more, um, a diffuser in your home? Your mom has g- gave you a diffuser and it's okay. Is that chapter two? Michael will help. So, so your mom gave you a diffuser. Maybe I assume moms because moms love diffusers, and you put oils in it, and it like puts up, put, it like puts up this mist or this vapor into the air, and it's you know it's going to cure all diseases and and all your worries, and it's going to make you smarter. All this stuff, it's going to cure everything. It's the answer to life's problems. So diffusers, I, I love the, this picture because what he's describing with this word vapor is that it's like what he's trying to, I think what he's trying to describe is, it's like trying to take the vapor and grab it with your hand and do what you want with it. So like imagine trying to grab the vapor and then throw it at your roommate. Dang it, let me try it again. You know, it's like trying to manipulate and control something that you can't manipulate and control is, is kind of what he's getting at with this, with this term. It's, it's meaning. So when he says meaningless, he doesn't mean pointless. Life is pointless. That's not the message of Kohelet. What he's saying is, I can't, there is no meaning in life under the sun. So what would life under the sun mean in contrast to above the sun? What would be above the sun? Who's above the sun? God, yes. So, so that, that contrast is really helpful to just, Determine like where he's going with, with his, what he's saying is under the sun is life here on earth, and he's saying I, I can't manipulate and control anything, sex, money, power, work, even wisdom. He has a whole section on, like that wisdom is, um, like seeking after wisdom. Fine, if if I can't find it in these things, then I'm going to find it in wisdom, the meaning of life in wisdom. And he says, yeah, can't can't do it so that's what that metaphor means uh his his message the three things death renders life meaningless like all the achievements that you're going to make in life guess what when you die none of that will matter all the things that you're going to try to pass on to the generations come guess what they're going to you worked hard for it he says that he'll say this a couple times you're going to work hard for all these things and possessions and you're going to try to give it to your kids and they're just going to, they didn't do anything to get it and they're just going to squander it. It's going to be a waste. So it's like, yeah, death renders life meaningless. Um, life is unjust. You know, the, 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 the evil, wicked person is thriving, lives a, full, lives a long life. The, the righteous person dies unexpectedly. Life is unjust. Um, we're unable to determine the right time. So I said earlier that timing is everything in Proverbs. Do, applying things in the right time in the right way. Timing is everything. He's going to say, yeah, timing is really important. And guess what? We can't determine any of it. So 
life sucks and then you die, basically is what he's saying. So my perspective, as I concluded some of these things, that Kohelet is not an atheist, he's not an agnostic, but is a God-fearer who has found that, that we can't find meaning to life under the sun, no matter how extravagantly we seek it. But this is key. Turn to the end of, of Ecclesiastes. We're going to read this, and then we'll move on to Job. This is really cool. It's a big discovery for me. Um, so he's going to finish. You say, look, look at verse 8. Absolute, absolute futility. You know, vapor, says the teacher. So again, um, now it's in third person. Right, we jump to that. Everything is futile. And then, he, and then the author continues, or narrator. In addition to the teacher being, being a wise man, he, um, he constantly taught the people knowledge. He weighed, explored, and arranged many proverbs. The teacher sought to find delightful sayings and write words of truth accurately. The sayings of the wise are like cattle prods, and those from masters of collections are firmly embedded nails. The sayings are given by one shepherd. But beyond these, this is key. Verse 12 and 14, I think, are the key to the whole book. Beyond these, my son, be warned. There is no end to the making of many books, and much study wearies the body. Here's what that means. This is according to Tripper Longman. He says, listen to the warning of Kohelet, but don't spend too much time reading his words. Don't spend too much time on his words because of what he's going to say next. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God, keep his commandments, because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. So here's here's a cool thing that that he pointed out, is that... um, when he says, fear God, he's describing God. Uh, so fear is this word, like we learned in Proverbs, is, is what initiates this relationship with God. You have to have humility to go before God, or you, you can't approach God in pride. That's like, that doesn't happen. So fear is this initial step toward a relationship with God. So he's saying, fear God, have a relationship with him. He's saying, obey, um, follow his commands. In other words, obey him and, and, and follow him. And then he's saying, and be, be ready for God's coming judgment. And, and so in other words, have hope in him. Have a relationship with him, obey him, and have hope in him is, is what he's, I think, getting at. And that is ultimately the message of, Kohel, of, of Ecclesiastes. If you can continue, like, keep Kohelet's message in mind. Because there's a lot of good stuff that Kohelet says. It's not all, like, dark, bad stuff. There's, like, things like chapter 5, which says, you know, let your words be few when you come to God. Remember who he is. He's the creator of the universe, and you're not. And so don't just babble on like pagans. So he has this fear of God, and he says the word fear God a few times in Ecclesiastes. So it's not like he just hates God. He's saying, no. Fear God, I, I, I think it, it, he just has this like, this tinge of 
life under the sun can't you can't find meaning in it and and can be depressing if you try any thoughts on any questions quick questions on ecclesiastes before we move on real quick to job job is used to be one of my least favorite books in the Bible to read and has changed this past week with, with some perspective. So I won't get into the, I won't explain the whole outline very much. Um, but prose is a form of literature that's like, that's basically the opposite of poetry. And, and so it, it has a, it's wisdom literature that so where Psalms would be wis- can have wisdom like elements that's real poetry, Job is starts as a, as a narration or as a description, and so it's different. Um, but but in chapters one and two is where we find out who Job is, and we find God, and there's this there's this court like scene, there's this heavenly uh, court scene. And, and the accuser steps forward, which, by the way, Tremper says he and most every Old Testament scholar does not believe that should be translated Satan. But there's a reason why it's translated Satan with a, with, with a capital S. The word is hasatan. It just literally means the accuser um, or adversary. And so... He doesn't believe that Job is teaching us a doctrine of Satan. He's just saying, one from among the sons of God, as you'll see in verse 6. One day the sons of God came to present, and, and one of them stepped out and accused and brought accusations to Job, or brought adversary. So anyway, so yeah, that, that's the, the idea here, but anyway... So you have this story, Job. Um, Job is cursed, and then he doesn't repent, but he, but he still had his health, and so the accuser comes back, adversary comes back, says, yeah, the only reason he hasn't repented, or the only reason he hasn't turned, cursed you, is because you let, let him be healthy, and so God allows that to happen. And he... And, he, and at this point, he's lost his family. He's lost all his possessions. He's lost. Now he's covered in boils, and he just sits in misery, right? And his wife even says, "Why don't you just curse God and die? Like get it over with." And he doesn't. And then verse chapter three, which I thought we were gonna have time to, to read some of it, but chapter three is this complaint slash lament if you'll notice i have here the difference between complaint and lament complaint is grumbling not directed to god or seeking resolution think of uh, the israelites grumbling in the desert there's complaining there's mad you know they wanted to be back under slavery you know and it's just they're just mad at where their circumstance they're not seeking god for for resolution but a lament you'll see lots of them in psalms is an expression of grief or sorrow directed to god for resolution so we, we had this exercise to try to determine, is chapter 3 Job's complaint or his lament? And it sounds like it is his complaint, but it doesn't sound like it's directed towards God. It just sounds he's just describing, just cursing the day I was born, and I wish I was never born, and all this stuff. But because of 
where Job gets to the end of the book because of how Job never leaves God, never turns from God, always, even though he was mad at God, and I'll explain why, he never turns from God. So ultimately, the, the Pasatan figure lost this bet with God because Job never turned. He ultimately kept focusing on God even though he was angry with God. And so that, that therefore, chapter 3 most likely is more of a lament than, than a complaint. Anyway, that's kind of interesting. Retribution theology. So this is where Proverbs and Job need to be held in tension. Because in Proverbs, if you do good, what will happen to you? Good things will happen to you. If you do bad, bad things will happen to you. And Job, this, the, the book of Job, is kind of attacking this idea. So retribution theology is what the friends come to Job with. So at first they do the best thing they do. They sit in silence for seven days. They don't say a single thing. And then the worst thing they did is started talking. Because the, the moment they started talking is when they started explaining how God works to Job. Job, this is how God works. Obviously, when you sin, God punishes you, and you've been punished. We don't know what your sin is, so why don't you just confess it, repent it, and, let, and get it out? So that God will now, then God will bless you. And Job, who also believes in retribution theology, says, I know how God works, and I know he only punishes sin, but I haven't sinned. So God, what the heck? That's, that's basically a summary of chapters 4 through 27. Um, <laughs> that's a really quick... And you can see there's an order. All friends, like Eli... There's three friends. This is kind of neat. Uh, the three friends are... Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. So you have Eliphaz speaks, and then Job responds, and then Bildad speaks, and Job, Job responds, and then Zophar speaks, and then Job responds. And then it goes round two. Eliphaz, Eliphaz Job, Bildad, Job, Zophar, Job. And then round three. Eliphaz, Job, Bildad, Job, and it stops. Zophar doesn't come back in. Um, some believe because Zophar's comments, he's the most insulting. His insults, there's a whole section of just insults in Job. It's pretty funny. Um, but his insults are the meanest, and so some believe that he just couldn't take it. He just didn't, you know. So anyway, then, and then in chapter 28, Job, there's this poem of wisdom that's beautiful. It doesn't fit with the rest of the, the, the discourse that's happening. And... Um, so in 28, so yeah, so if you're kind of looking, you have one and two, the introduction of the story, you have three, Job's complaint slash lament. Four through 27 is all of Job and his friends talking and explaining who they believe God is. The friends' assumption was Job has sinned and that's why he's being punished. Their conclusion was, Job, you need to repent of your sin. Job's assumption was, um, God is unjust because I didn't do anything wrong. And his conclusion was, I'm going to go and complain to God. God, I'm going to get, I need an audience with you. And, he's, and he even goes as far as say, I want to come, I want to come give you my complaint, but guess what? You won't even listen to me. You don't even care what I have to say. 
that kind of a... So Job gets in a pretty dark place. Both Job and his friends were wrong in their assumptions and wrong in their conclusions is kind of what's happening. But chapter 28 is this beautiful hymn of wisdom. And it ends with this, in verse 28, He said to mankind, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn from evil is understanding. So, and then, um, this is kind of funny. So Job gives his final, his final claim of innocence in chapter 29 through 31. And then this, this character named Elihu starts talking from 32 to 37. We don't know anything about him. We don't know if he's there the whole time, just sat silent. We know that he's young, and we know that he is pompous. And, and I won't tell you what Tripper called him, but um, you can probably guess. Anyway, so he, he says, the reason we, the reason we think um, Elihu, this character in 32 through 37, is this pompous donkey is because nobody responds to him at all. Nobody even acknowledges his, his, his teaching. He says, I'm young. Listen, I know I'm young. I've been sitting silent, listening to you guys, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I have something to say. You all are wrong, and I'm right, and I'm spiritual, more spiritual than all of you, and this is the way it is, and this is who God is, and this is how he works, and this is, Joe, what you've done, and this is your friends, this is what you've done. He just goes off, and they ignore him, which is pretty interesting to me. Maybe not to you. And then 38, the Lord speaks. And look at 38 verse 1. What does he speak from? Who said it? A whirlwind. So he speaks from this storm. And that's to represent, again, there's a lot of creation language, but it's to represent power and um, awe, fear, you know, all those things. And he goes off on Job and a little bit to his friends, I think. But he goes off on Job and, and basically never answers Job as to why Job is suffering. Um, so the point of Job, uh, by the way, Job responds to, to God two times. And the last time he says, I'm never going to talk again. Actually, he says something better than that. He says, um, this is pretty key. Forty-two. This is after God speaks quite a bit. Forty-two. Verse five. I had heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. That's a that's a phrase worth, I think, meditating on. Therefore, I reject my words, and I'm sorry. I said sorry for them. I am dust and ashes, and and so there. And there, Job repents. And so, what did he have to repent from? Because he didn't do anything wrong. That's the point. He didn't do anything wrong. What he had to repent from was assuming God is unjust, and that he can accuse God of something. And so, that's what God is quick to say no. Mm-hmm. So, how does this all fit? So, anyway, point of Job. Is God wise and just? God is a source of wisdom. Submission is a proper response to God's wisdom. Wisdom is a result of a relationship with God. So here's what I want you to write in your... To, to how 
these three books teach wisdom. Is for Proverbs teaches us to fear God and his wisdom will guide you. Fear God and his wisdom will guide you. Two, a good life under the sun. Fear God and his wisdom will guide you to a good life under the sun. By the way, these are my words, not his, so don't put a whole lot of weight in them. Fear God and his wisdom will guide you to a good life under the sun. Okay, so here's Ecclesiastes. Fear God by seeking him. Fear God by seeking him. to find meaning in it, in everything under the sun. Fear God by seeking him to find meaning in everything under the sun. And then Job He has already Job is, fear God so that when life is difficult, fear God so that when life is difficult, fear God so that when life is difficult for you or others, for you or others, You will remain humble before him. Fear God so that when life is difficult for you or others, you will remain humble before him. So that's, so you think about someone who is just like man life is good and um, it's it's it seems really easy I, I just I, I do the, I do the right things I, I I'm disciplined and like all these good things happen to me that's just how things work like what's wrong like why aren't you experiencing this Keely like what's wrong with you you know um, it's like that person needs the humility of of Job or the humility of, or the warning of, of Ecclesiastes to, to hold these things in tension. When we read through, my conclusion was, I wanna, I'm going to start reading through Proverbs differently. And I'm going to, as I'm reading through it, continue to re- remind myself of the point of Ecclesiastes and the point of Job. That's kind of my first step, my first takeaway that I want to do. But, so, but imagine somebody who just like, man... 
there's there's no point in this life at all, you know. And so, what's the point of even trying? There's blah blah blah, right? So you, so then obviously Proverbs can can bring in some real like practical wisdom to to your life when you're in a season when you feel like nothing you're doing is working or you're just disconnected or depressed or whatever. There can be some practical things you can do on a regular basis that can bring life into you, breathe life into you, right? So the Proverbs can be incredibly helpful for that. And then if you think about somebody who's suffering, who's going through a really, really difficult time, Job can be this reminder. Don't make sure your words are... If you're going to speak on God's behalf, make sure they're God's words, not your own. But but keep in mind, like, stay humble. You you may not know what's going on. You you don't know why they're going through what they're going through, and you can't explain it. So you might not be able to explain it. So just be careful. So anyway, anyway, that's that's my. If you have questions, it's we got eight minutes to until service starts. So. If you have questions, um, please come up. Feel free to ask. Let me pray. God, thank you um, for wisdom, and thank you that it is available to us and that is calling out to us through your word and through, through your spirit. I pray that we would listen and obey and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.